reading from the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the 25th verse. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and He turned and said to them, Whoever comes to Me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and disciples, yes, and even life itself, cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all your possessions. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would imagine that texts like that are one of the reasons that people who don't use the lectionary readings don't use them. (laughs) I can't imagine a person sitting down with this and saying, oh yeah, that'll preach... Because usually what it really does is offend us. It offended the people who heard it. I feel pretty certain of that. What in the world is Jesus trying to say to us? The language seems harsh. It It seems almost hard. It doesn't sound like The same one who would say, let the little children come to me. The same one who says all those things that we love to quote, like when we quote quote Paul who quoted Jesus saying, it's better to give than receive. It doesn't sound like the same person. But I think we dare not water it down because what Jesus seems to be putting forth to us is that He does not want to be an accessory to our lives. Y'all know what accessories are, right? We put them in our ears, we wear them on necklaces, little crosses, we wear them on our wrist, we make sure our shoes match our purse, we accessorize, right? And the things that I do, there are whole industries built around making accessories for fishing and hunting. If you buy a new bow, you need all the accessories that come with it, and the shop will give you 10% off the day you buy it. To buy all the other stuff that you're sure you need with it. And those are accessories. Those are things that don't fit the actual prime motivation for buying it. They're things that you don't technically have to have, but they look sweet mounted on the new bow. Accessories. 
It's what we do when we, we accessorize our clothing or we accessorize our car. Remember those little crown air fresheners that were popular in the 90s and everybody put them on the back dash of their car? It's just proof that human beings are gullible for accessories. We love them. If we see enough people driving around them, we want one too. Matter of fact, we don't have to understand it. We just have to see enough people doing it. And we will want one, right? It's the science behind those little gel bracelets. Remember when the yellow Livestrong bracelets were so happy? If you were a person who was a good person, you had a yellow Livestrong bracelet on because you saw everybody else have one on. It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where Kramer gets in trouble because he won't wear the ribbon. Remember that one? We turn things into accessories and badges that we belong. Jesus apparently does not want to be an accessory to our lives. He doesn't want to be that thing that we add to our lives when we have time. When we have inclination. When we don't have something better to do. That's how we make Jesus an accessory. We push Jesus to the side of life. We're like that guy who says, well, Jesus, first let me go bury my father before I can follow you. Accessories. Jesus apparently does not want to be an accessory to our lives. It seems to me, just judging from this text, that what Jesus wants is to be the central, most important person in our life. And for most human beings... That spot is reserved for ourselves. We might say it's reserved for our spouse or our children. All those people that Jesus names, mother, father, child. But truthfully, typically, the most important person to us is ourself. And when we become constrained to only thinking about what's good for us, will it benefit me? Will it make me whole? Will it make me perfect? Will it make me light? That's when we get into accessorizing our life. That's when we start to pile things on that make us more acceptable to others. And Jesus simply doesn't want to be that. As a matter of fact, in one place he said, you cannot serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. We can't serve two masters, he said. In that case, he was talking about money. But it's applicable to the self as well. We can't only think about ourselves and serve Jesus. As I told the children a few minutes ago, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, or excuse me, if you love one another, you will be my disciples. This is how people will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Apparently, Jesus has no desire to be an accessory to our lives. When we accessorize our lives with Jesus, we end up being like that church that's described in Revelation 3. The risen Christ is depicted as writing, telling John to write this to the angel of the church at Laodicea, that is, that church's pastor. 
And this is what Jesus says to write to them. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If you've ever taken a drink of lukewarm water, you know, you know what Jesus is referring to there. You know that feeling. That feeling of something that's neither pleasing nor unpleasing. It's just completely undesirable and you don't want it. Jesus does not desire for us to accessorize Him in our lives and become lukewarm to Him, indifferent to Him, thinking, well, I got my ticket to heaven punched and nothing else matters. No, Jesus wants disciples. Jesus wants people to come after Him, to follow Me. Most of the time when He encountered new people, He didn't just call them to believe in them. What He said to them was, follow Me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lukewarm. Francis Chan says this about lukewarm believers. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. That's startling, isn't it? Sometimes I'm afraid maybe that's true for me. I guess I'd have to change jobs. But what else in my life would change? If I suddenly decided I was going to stop following Jesus, what else in my life would change? I hope that I'm not a lukewarm believer. I don't want to be a lukewarm believer, do you? I want to be a disciple. I want to be one that's hot. I want to be one that people can see me and see Christ. To see the things I do and know that I am His disciple. Without question. I want there to be enough evidence in my life that if someone accused me of following Christ, a court of law would convict me in five seconds. But sometimes I just can't live up to that. But I want to be a disciple. I wonder, do you want to be a disciple? If we want to be disciples, it starts with watching Jesus closely. And what I told you last week about that is that that can be a good idea if and only and only if we are willing to be challenged, examined, and transformed. Because following Jesus will change us. It will change our lives. And not always for the better. Sometimes we will lose things that we want that aren't good for us. And sometimes we will be sent places that we don't want to go to do things that we don't want to do. Fred Craddock says that what's demanded of disciples instead of just believers, is this. 
that out of that big giant network of loyalties that we live in, the claim of Christ and the gospel not only takes precedence, but in fact redefines the others. I think maybe that's what Jesus is telling us in this text. That if we'll stop treating Him like an accessory, like something that we add to our lives when there's time and when it doesn't conflict with anything else, then we will start down a path that will have some cost for us. We will be challenged. We will be examined. But we will also be transformed and changed to be something better. But it might cost what we are now. And before we start that journey, we ought to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay that cost? Are we willing to be different? Are we willing to give up our time, our talents, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, our prayers? Are we willing to give up those parts of ourselves that we hold on so hard to? There's cost involved. Some scholars say that I should stand here and tell you that Jesus isn't using hate the way we do, that what Jesus is using hate in the sense of is an old Semitic form that means that you, you love that thing less. And while that's true, maybe what we really need to do is just hear it in our own hearing, be challenged by it, be examined by it, and ask ourselves, do we love Jesus more than anything else? Including ourselves and those things that we know are bad for us. Do we truly love Him? Do we truly want to be disciples? Maybe that's what we should ask. Not watering down what he's saying, not making it easier to swallow, but allowing it to do the work it's designed to do to challenge us and make us say, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Instead of placating and saying, well, I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody or anything else. I'm just going to go and do my little business and I'll go to church on Sunday morning and do what I'm supposed to do. But that's not what Jesus wants. What Jesus wants is us to be truth-telling disciples who live in a world that needs to hear that He's the way, the truth, and the life. That He's the gateway to the Father. That He is the way to eternal life. That He is the bread of life set before us on a table that all people are invited to. But if we treat Him as an accessory, that's not true for us and it won't be true for anybody we witness to because our witness will be incredible and unbelievable. I don't want Jesus to be an accessory to my life. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. And I'm willing to admit to you today that I'm not quite there yet. I've been chasing that for 44 years. Because I figured when I was two, I couldn't really do it. You know what I mean? I've been chasing it long enough to know that I'm not quite going to get there. But I'm hopeful. Because I know the truth is Jesus is chasing me. And I think that's what Jesus is doing in this text today. Chasing us.
Stop making me an accessory to your life. Let me be your master. Let me be your life. Is there cost involved in that? Yes. Will it change us? Thank God it will. Will it mean we might lose friends? Yes, it does. Does it mean people might look at us and disrespect us? Think we're single-minded, think we're simple, think we're stupid? Yes, it means that. Does it mean there might be times when we experience scorn or shame? It is a cross that we're called to bear, an instrument of scorn and shame. So yes, picking up our cross and following Him means we may find ourselves on the outside of society looking in. As my friend Jawad Love at Pineville AMEZ likes to say, so what? So what? If we want to be His disciple, what people think of us will not matter. All that will matter is that we're chasing after Christ who chases after us. And it's hard. It's not easy. But it's the best running you will ever do. It's the best living you will ever do. As I'm thankful for these words that I read by the Reverend Philip McLarty, he said, So the question is, at this point in your journey of faith, how much are you willing to give? Whatever your answer, however much or little of yourself you're willing to commit to Christ and His kingdom, just remember this, Christ has already given Himself for you. So when Jesus was saying to us to count the cost before we start building our tower, it's in the context of having already counted the cost and set His face toward Jerusalem to die for us. Having already considered what it cost Him to give us life. How could we make Him an accessory to our life knowing that? That He gave up His entire life for us. How in the world could we put Him at the side of life knowing that He sacrificed His own life? As we come to this table today that He sets here in the midst of us, a table of grace and mercy where He says, I know, I know, I know, and you are forgiven. Can we come acknowledging the sacrifice that He made for us? That He counted the cost and laid down His whole life for us? And somehow be encouraged to do the same for Him? The question put before us today, dear ones, is do we want to be Jesus' disciples? My prayer is that today as you come to this table, you will let the act of coming be your yes to that question. 